This is part three of our interview with Vandros Idiake. He covered so much as far as what we were talking about with crypto. I just couldn't cut any of it out, so we broke it down into smaller parts. Here he's going to talk about how you can use crypto internationally and how it works with different currencies, and we thought you might be interested in that as well. Take a listen. Here's the hardest part that most people are going to have to wrap their heads around. Um, again, related yeah. to traditional banking styles and whatnot. But, you know, you point out stocks. Well, you know, would you consider Amazon a bubble because it, it, it the stock values depreciate by 90%? I think when people buy stocks, though, there's something tangible there. And, and that, to me, is probably the, the key weakness, you know, with a lot of people who don't understand cryptocurrency and things like that is... You know, this isn't something you can put your hands on. This isn't something you can hold like gold or silver or even your home. I mean, your home, yes, that value might fluctuate, but you can sit in your house. You can touch the walls. You know, there, there's a certain amount of tangibility there. Um, with crypto, though, it's, it's digits on a screen in the ether. You know, it, I think that's what's harder to wrap people's head around is how does something that is nothing more than electronics really adding, creating this value? maybe you can explain a little bit of that. Yeah, well, when you look at stocks, stocks are, are pretty digitized too as well. If you look at our generation, how we invest. Um, Agreed, but I can walk know, into we, an Apple store. I can hold my Apple phone and know if I invested in Apple stock, that essentially I'm creating a, yeah. a tangible product that I can see, feel, and touch. I think that's the part that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, it, it's a struggle for sure, but there's because the technology gives you a way in which you can verify that what you have is true and no one else can can replicate that right which is right. the entire technology right um so you encrypt things on chain and then you can verify that that value is yours right whereas if i have uh let's say a hundred thousand dollars in my bank account how can i prove that that value is there right they're just basically telling me that you know i have a hundred thousand dollars in the bank but i can't necessarily really prove that. And if everyone were to collectively as a whole go and do a bank run, well, we know what happens then because yes. of the fractional reserve banking system. So um, I think that this is where the, the cryptocurrency comes in and it solves that problem because everything's encrypted on chain. So it's all verifiable. You could see it on a blockchain explorer, right? Um, if you look, go to etherscan.io, you know, the, you know, the Bitcoin and um, explore and look at that too as well. You can see exactly, hey, if, you, if I asked you, hey, to send me money and I send you my, my public address, I don't need to go to the bank, the intermediary to be like, hey, what's going on? It's been like, you know, a couple hours. No, no, no. I just go on chain and then see this public address sent this value to this public address, right? Because that's all it is, right? Blockchain is just a chain of blocks and it shows uh, three important identifying pieces of information, which is the sender address, the receiver address, and the amount all tied into a hash, right? A transaction hash. And um, yeah, so I think that that's what the solution that it solves is like you see in Ukraine now where a lot of people were flooding to, to the bank to get their money out and they weren't able to get their money out because of the obvious of the fractional reserve banking system where, and people still don't know that that's how it works. You know, the system works in that way where the liquidity actually, it, it, was, it used to be 10% of liquidity the banks had to keep inside the, the banking system, but actually it's, it's less now. I think they're operating most of them on like one to two percent liquidity, you know, which is absolutely asinine. So you're working hard with your time, exchanging that for what everyone uniformly agreed upon on 
as a, a medium of exchange and you're storing that in what you consider a safe vehicle to store it at. And then, you know, something happens within the economy. People get scared. They go on a bank run. And then you realize that all that time you spent in, you know, to reciprocate, to get that amount of value and put it into that system is all gone, you know? And so what do you do then? You know, so I think it's a great hedge for these type of situations, catastrophic situations that we have, but I don't know what you, what you guys' thoughts are on that. But you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I think, I think the challenge for me, like I said, the biggest challenge for me is the fact that we've had this banking system and everybody's kind of ingrained to it. And I think, the secondary, you know, sort of challenge to it is that, you know, the people who don't want blockchain are the people who are somehow significantly invested in the existing system, right? So we know that we'll just we'll just call that out. Okay. But I guess the biggest challenge with blockchain becoming as big as potentially it could be. Um, the challenge is the overall acceptance across, you know, you need global acceptance, right? Like, you mentioned transferring money. I think that's fabulous, right? I didn't even think of the fact that you're transferring money to a to a you know to a monetary system that's different than yours, and you don't lose value because it's still blockchain when you get to the other country. Um, I guess the challenge, though, is like from the Western side to get everybody here. I think you need like everyone to be able to accept Bitcoin or blockchain, right? And that way, when you go into a store and you say, you know, I really as you talked about a coffee mug. If I go into a store and I want a coffee mug, I can't pay with Bitcoin. Nine times out of 10, I can't. They just don't have the accessibility. So I get, for me, I'm seeing it, that as the biggest challenge. We have to get it to the point where it's accepted. And at every store, I can go in and say, here's my wallet, right? Which might be my phone. It might be, you know, another device or something that I'm carrying that shows my wallet. And someone can, can say, okay, you know, one Bitcoin gets me a mug, or whatever it is that I want to buy. That I guess is the piece mug. that's mm -hmm. huh? I said that's the expensive. <laughs> said it's very mug. expensive, young. <laughs> no, 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 I understand. I was trying to get it down to some kind of small I knew, you know, sure. that's the yeah, other yeah. kind of challenge that I have in my yeah. head. But that's my first challenge is you gotta get wide worldwide, you know, sort of acceptance to it. And then that's the other thing I think maybe you can, you know, get through my blockhead, right? That you know, we're not adding any more, right? At some point, the number of Bitcoin out there has been finite, right? So it mm -hmm. solves the problem of the monetary system, but somewhere along the line, just calculating how much that mug's going to cost, you know, because it's no longer, you know, $1 gets you a dollar store. Now you need a Bitcoin store because <laughs> and everything in there is going to be 60 grand now and, and going up and down in price because it's going to be based on Bitcoin. So you, you follow what I'm saying? Like the first thing is we need widespread yeah. acceptance. And the second thing is how do we get it to the point where somebody who can't do math in their head at four o'clock in the afternoon is going to know that's a good deal when I go and I buy a mug for one Bitcoin and realize I just spent 60 grand. Yeah. Um, well, here's what I say. I say currencies are always fluctuating, right? I mean, if you, it all depends on what it's traded against, right? If you look at, the U.S. dollar versus the Bulgarian leg or the U.S. dollar versus the euro, you know, they're traded against each other and those prices tend to fluctuate, too. So you could, one could argue that those are volatile um, 
currencies, right? And um, it's the same with Bitcoin. It depends on what you're trading it against. If you're trading it against US dollar, then it's close to $40,000 right now. But if you're trading it against, let's say, the Argentinian peso, well, it just reached an all-time high recently <laughs> you know, in Argentinian pesos. So <laughs> it depends really on what you, what you it's, it's the same with every other currency, I think. Um, you're never going to get the exact amount for that day that it will be the same exact amount for the next day because currencies always fluctuate slightly obviously it doesn't fluctuate as much you know when you when you're talking about us dollars and euros but they do they are volatile that's why you got these forex markets you know um where people you know penetrate those markets and you know they do uh, high frequency trading you know in those markets so that that would probably be my answer to that um in regards to the denomination they are it's El Salvador. What they do is they denominate everything in Satoshis. So 100 million Satoshis equals one Bitcoin. Um, and so that way it alleviates you saying, oh, I paid 0.000000001 1 Bitcoin, you know, for this for this mug. You know, <laughs> it just kind of that would be 0.000023 Bitcoin, please, for this coffee mug, you know. So to alleviate that, they've um, denominated everything Satoshis. So it, it makes everything more sensible, you know, I guess for the long term. And I guess that's that's the best way I could sort of answer that so so you still have to tie it so so i i think 100 we're, we're we're getting to the same point right that right now cross yeah. border it definitely solves a cross border yeah. problem right yes but yes. if i think about just within the united states if i want to get the united states to to become you know a a better proponent of the of bitcoin of blockchain you know, in order to do that, you know, if if I still have, it's almost like if I still have to tie it to the U.S. dollar, then I see all kinds of problems with that because of somebody else is going to be, hey, well, it's tied to the U.S. dollar, so I'm going to be, you know, uh, I can't use it as a currency because I still have the U.S. dollar as my mm -hmm. currency. So really, at that point, it's just an investment yeah. in the U.S., right? It doesn't become transactable. Am I saying that wrong? I mean, yeah. that's, that's the challenge. No, right no. so the, the idea is, is, is technically for over the course of time, if you look at the charts, right? So the dollar is decreasing in value and Bitcoin is increasing against the dollar. So the ideal is, let's say 20 years from now, the dollar is going to be so insurmountable compared to Bitcoin in terms of price that people will then switch from a, a dollar dollarization standard to a Bitcoin standard, because then it would be uh, liquid at that point. And also it will have more purchasing power at that point where the dollar is just diminishing in value every single year. And that's the kind of the idea is for okay. right now. Yes, you are. You are kind of, you know, you have to price it to against something, you know. But at some point, the idea is that then you price everything to Bitcoin instead of pricing Bitcoin to currencies, you know, and that's when that inflection point, that, that's when that shift will happen. Yeah. Okay. I see that. Okay. That makes more sense. And then you're on a goal. Then you're on a global standard where right now other countries yes. are still standard to the U S you know? Um, yes. so now you'd be switching to an international standard that's based on free market. Yes, exactly. And there's also a couple experimental projects in the crypto space. You know, a lot of these things is experimental that are trying to create sort of this basket of cryptocurrencies, um, and make their own stable coin based off of this basket of, of cryptocurrencies. So um, it's very, very interesting. It's very nuanced. And I, I don't 
want to get too much into technicals, it would confuse a lot of people. But <laughs> what I would say is, <laughs> what I would say is that people are the, the free market is trying to make better alternatives to uh, the current currency systems that we have in place. Um, even me, I've had issues and it was super annoying that luckily for me, the bank account that I had, I could just send Bitcoin because they adopted Bitcoin and I just swapped it into Bulgarian Levs. I live in Bulgaria right now and it made it, it was so simple. You know, it was like, OK, because I had to I needed to um, send money over from my U.S. bank account and put it into Bulgarian Levs. And it was super complicated. I had to move it over here, swap it over there. And then, you know, and then it was freezing in between. You know, they were like, hey, what are you doing? Why are you sending that amount of money? It's just like super exhausting situation. So I just simply just sent Bitcoin and um, it solved the problem within uh, a matter of minutes. I, I, sw I sent my bank Bitcoin, swapped it into Bulgarian Labs, and then it was it was it was easy, you know. And so this interoperability solution, I think if it's adopted through all fintech, I think would be a really good alternative. So that way there's one uniformly agreed upon standard that's global. That everyone can say, okay, just just send Bitcoin. You know, I don't want your your Kenan shillings. I don't want your Argentinian pesos. Just send Bitcoin to my bank, and then I can swap it. You know, and that already is solving a problem. You know, that's um, currently with the frictionalized system that we have in the banking system. And also, when things move and they're and they're more frictionless, it's going to increase the amount of liquidity flow within the entire market, right? Um, which is great because then. People get their money faster. And when people get their money faster, they can spend it faster to businesses. So liquidity in and outflows will create this sort of um, this sort of hyperactive type of flow state that we'll have within the economic landscape currently. You know, and so I think that we need to remove the friction, especially because that's another thing, too, that I like is the fact that liquidity markets in the crypto space. It's, it's, it's open 24 seven because it's completely free market. Whereas with stocks, you know, they close down what at like six p.m. I don't know. Yep. The, it's, it's, I yeah, it's, it's four. And there's aftermarket trading, but for the most part, it's done at like four o'clock. Yeah, this is like you know, for my generation, you know, sometimes you want to you want to trade Bitcoin. It want to want to be degenerates and just trade Bitcoin at like twelve p.m. or or midnight or whenever we want to trade it in, in on Saturday night. You know, eating the pizza. You know, and this is what we like to do. You know, we like things now. We don't like we don't want to wait for things. We like things now. We like this instant gratification of doing things now. And I think this also is a great technology to cater towards the millennials, the, the generation, uh, the Zoomers, the Generation Z, you know. And um, yeah, I think the technology is just it's beautiful because of that, too, as well as you don't have to wait. There's no it's permissionless. And I think this is the beauty and the, um, the madness behind the technology. Sure to catch up part four next. That'll be coming soon. Take care.